But what we had to take into consideration is that every site is different. You know, they're, they're either old, they're either due for renewal, they're either brand new. Yeah. Um, so there's a combination. You had to think about patient acuity. So, you know, were they community, mental health? Were they acute? So care of the elderly, medical, surgical, maternity, pediatric. You had to think about the styles of service fresh cook, cook chill, direct from a central production unit, unit, buying everything in. How were they transporting food across the site? And we wanted the report to mirror a reflection of all of those areas. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tim Shelley podcast. Today, I'm in conversation with Phil Shelley, my brother. So it's uh, feels a little weird, but it's going to be great. Uh, Phil is the chair of the independent review of NHS hospital food, and the report has been published in the last few months. There are some massive issues here for uh, the NHS to tackle and to improve on in the coming years. Uh, now, you may be thinking hospital food, not very exciting topic, but I think this is a key area. You know, how do we support people with nutrition and hydration when they are poorly and at times incredibly vulnerable and weak? Here's my conversation with Phil. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much indeed for joining me today. You're welcome, Tim. Really good to see. You. Now, it looks like you've been given a bit of a tough job here. It's like... Um, like leading a review into the England football team's uh, performance in major tournaments. It feels like a, an uphill task and everyone's got an opinion. Um, so can you, first of all, give me a little bit of background into this report and, and why it was needed? Yeah, the formal review was requested following the, the tragic deaths of six people across the country. Uh, and this was following an outbreak of listeria. Obviously, a number of high-risk foods are served throughout healthcare, and the close scrutiny of procurement, of preparation, of service of foods, it, there's always going to be that expectation of the standard required, but that brings a pressure. Um, the Food Standards Agency, they've already written an incident report on the handling of, of the listeria outbreak. Um, which clearly identifies the risks concerned through suppliers um, and the handlers providing info into health and social care. So my role really was to chair a review, uh, meet with the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, along with a couple of health ministers to discuss a wider remit. And this was looked at improving healthcare, food and drink for patient staff and visitors. What we've tried to do is focus on nutrition, quality, safety of production methods. And I suppose as past chair of the Hospital Catering Association, they clearly felt I had an influence with key stakeholders from the past. Uh, and, you know, the people that made up this panel, I mean, how did that sort of happen? How was it formed? And you also had uh, Prue uh, on there as well. What was her role mm. in all of this? Yeah, well, we always knew it was going to be interesting, that, 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 that's for <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, that 
when it comes to something like this, there's a, a number of people that sort of have to agree, first of all, that you can do it. And I, and I remember several phone calls with Simon Corbyn, who is the head of states and facilities for NHS improvement. It then had to go to Simon Stevens for clearance and then to the Secretary of State. And, and everything seemed to be just sort of rolling along quite nicely. But mm -hmm. then two days before the launch of the review, um, I had this phone call from number 10 and that always sort of, you know, almost fell off the chair <laughs> when I had that call because there was no warning for it. And then, and then you dread that question of, would you be happy if we had celebrity involvement? Uh, and, and I was very nervous about that because the history of hospital food reviews in the past, the sort of celebrity status has been knocked, particularly by those involved with it. So they asked me to put forward a couple of names. Prue was one of those. And I, I felt with her background, she had a massive influence on school catering. She also in her journalistic nature had quite a say on the challenges around, around NHS food. So it, for me, it seemed a good fit, but you know, never really knew if she would want to take it on as we know she's a, a very busy person. But two days later, the, it was, you know, it was launched in, in the sense of, of, of through the House of Commons. And within an hour, Prue was on the phone and she was absolutely amazing. She kind of, she probably said all the things that I wanted her to say. And that was, yeah, her availability was what it was. We had to use her where we could. Mm -hmm. She would always be there on the phone. And if I, if I text her, she would try and make herself free. And she would use her influence as best as possible, give me the support I needed, but she made it very clear that I was chair of the review and she wouldn't interfere. And, and, and I couldn't ask for any more. Um, going from that, I was given quite a wide remit around the review panel. So we included a couple of members from the Department of Health. We had representation from DEFRA, Public Health England, Hospital Catering, British Dietetic Association, and, and also invited a matron from Musgrove Park Hospital in Taunton. And I, and I felt that it was so important that we had somebody who, you know, totally understood the day-to-day the -day activity of the challenges that go on. You know, they, they were living it day in, day out. Um, and great as well to have clinical involvement all the time. Prue's attended a number of review meetings. She's seen all of the notes, the minutes, the action log. She puts plenty of comments in. So she's had a lot to say, incredible, um, supportive, and lots of time given to the final document. So yeah, it's it's been, you know, I, I thought it would be very up and down, you know, mm. through through the sort of the six or seven months, but um, you know, she, she, she's been brilliant. And the review panel were incredibly supportive and gave a lot of their time. Mm, that's a great film. So, um, you know, as you're starting, I'm guessing you would have been aware of most, if not all, the issues that you kind of highlighted. Um, but you know, how did you sort of approach this? And um, you visited a number of hospitals. I mean, did you have the freedom to, to visit any hospital in the UK? It was England only. Right. Because it is, you know, it's very political around NHS England. Ireland, Scotland and Wales. So I, I, 
fortunately, through the Hospital Catering Association, where there is a four nation approach, I've been able to link into those countries in, in conversations. But we knew all along that the final report would be through NHS England. So th there was a bit of a closed remit on that, but we also had the opportunity. And to be fair, those countries contacted me quite quickly afterwards to say, you know, we want to be involved in the report because there's learning for everybody. So it, it was it was a two-edged sword on that. However, when you talk about sites, I mean, you know, we visited over 30 sites, mm. but we had so many calls to say, oh, you know, we want to be in the mix. We want you to come. I mean, particularly yeah. if crew was going to come as well, you can imagine that yeah. that was going to lift the status for the, for the hospital and for the, the facilities teams. But what we had to take into consideration is that every site is different. You know, they're, they're either old, they're either due for renewal, they're either brand new. Yeah. Um, so th there's a combination. You had to think about patient acuity. So, you know, were they community, mental health? Were they acute? So care of the elderly, medical, surgical, maternity, pediatric. You had to think about the styles of service, fresh cook, cook chill, direct from a central production unit, unit buying everything in. How were they transporting food across the site? And we wanted the report to mirror a reflection of all of those areas. I mean, I, I, I give you an example. For, we went to Guy St. Thomas's in London, mm. fantastic acute hospital. Uh, we went to Broadmoor, high security mm. psychiatric. We went to Gloucester Health and Care Community, you know, Charlton Lane in the Vale, where, where just a small number of, of people being in there, but a totally different type of care. And through the report, we've just shared a small story from each of those sites that we visited to, to see that people um, could see that we experienced, first of all, a variety, but also the variety of experiences from those people working in those areas, as well as those visiting. And we took some of the expert panel with us on those visits. So we, we, we tried to keep it to three or four. It's not good having crowds going in, but um, yeah, yeah, generally it was, it was a great experience. I, mean, I, I I've got to say that, we faced a range of issues, you know, staff skills, equipment, refurbishment, you know, how can they keep up with innovation, mm. the, the training for all involved. So we, we saw issues at the front of the journey, but also at the end of the journey, you know, the nursing and in the HCA situation. But what we did see on every site was pride and loyalty from staff. You know, you could see, you can understand why everybody holds the NHS up as a beacon of light. Yeah. Um, they, they do their very best, whatever the circumstances. Brilliant. And let's, um, let's, let's discuss some of those issues then, shall we, raised, raised by the panel. I mean, it does seem historically like hospitals are the, the poor relation of it in the catering industry. Um, you know, what you're proposing, you know, what needs to take place to raise standards, you know, quite significantly in our hospitals? Yeah, with, we, as we know, there's a variety of areas and, and we try to, I mean, I, I, you know, I wanted 50 recommendations, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was told straight away, it's got to be under 10. It's got to be under 10. So it means something. And, and then what you can do is redevelop that. So, so we had um, 
the eight recommendations, and then we also wrote a chief executive checklist, which we, we had a number of other things in there, and I'll, I'll pick up on that later. But what we, I suppose what we wanted to identify is what does good look like? I, I don't particularly like the term best value because I think best value is very different in every single place. But what we wanted to look at, for, you know, particularly around catering, the catering staff scenario, and we know it's an issue trying to attract teams and chefs into the NHS. And, and it's strange because I think when you go through college as a chef, you almost get shaped to go into restaurant and hotels. You don't learn very much about things like nutrition. And, and lifestyle, which of course now is becoming even more important. So we're looking at, well, what can we do straight away? Well, first of all, we're gonna do an NHS Chef of the Year competition. That's gonna be launched in the next couple of weeks. So there'll be seven regional competitions, one national final, and this is all about lifting the profile and, and, and having a set cost with nutritional and allergy information available. We're trying to, help NHS be chefs instead of being back of house become in front of house and that doesn't happen naturally you know so it, it will take time and we also want a national training program for chefs in the NHS so we can start to link colleges to hospitals to try and raise that awareness and try to help that be an option you know when you think about the NHS the, the opportunity for growth personally for somebody is enormous mm. and, and and you link with so many types of employment within an NHS site so there is there, there is a great opportunity and to be fair to students going through colleges they probably don't hear about it mm. so it's it's down to us to help colleges redevelop that yeah and you know I'm guessing most of us will be well sadly familiar with some poor examples of, of meals in hospitals. Um, but also, you know, a bit confused as to why those who are, you know, incredibly vulnerable or poorly, mm. you know, maybe getting excellent medical care and assistance, but maybe not actually having the, the care support in place to help them, you know, um, eat a meal, cut up a piece of meat, um, reach a, a jug of water that's ended up at the end of the bed. Um, you know, someone going into, uh, inpatients, um, um, you know, there for the day having tests or whatever, and then, you know, not being offered any food or drink, um, and, and maybe then staff not so much concerned about their physical needs of that day when they're there, you know, what, what needs to change, do you think? Yeah, I think people think it's a quick fix. And, and, and the great thing about this food review is we have got time and I'll, and I'll share with you a little bit about that plan later, but I think we have to accept that there are many parts of a food service where you can either improve or you can actually devalue the quality. You know, for if, 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 you, if you look at it yourself about, you know, you go out, you choose a restaurant, you decide what you want on the menu and you can have the best chef in the world cooking that food but if the service of that food is poor, then, then you're very disappointed, aren't you? And you're absolutely right in what you're picking up, that you know, there needs to be a collective effort for change. 
there are too many that fall beneath the standard required. And we are challenging, particularly the Hospital Catering Association now, to say to all of their members, you know, there are people that are doing some fantastic things. There are people that are, are really trying hard and not reaching the standard required. And there are obviously some trusts that fall well beneath that standard. And it's just not good enough. And, and you know, we will do everything in our power to move us to a place where we think we should be and then use that as a springboard to go on. I mean, there's a three year plan now and, and often with the other reviews, it was bang, bang, it's out there, get on with it. There were no resources, no support mm. and, and it fell over. And so this is going to be very different. We've got a newly formed expert group. There's only a dozen of those which, which I'll be chairing. That group replicates, we call it the power three, and that is very much around clinical catering and dietetic. You know, and, and we have that opportunity to drive them with a directive to keep ministers involved with quarterly and annual reporting. So they want to see results. They're, they're, they're likely to be in government for some time, which is good for us in the sense of we have a reporting structure. Yeah. And, and they will expect us to make progress. Uh, and obviously working with NHS improvement now, we, you know, we have the opportunity to drive it from the center and that's the right place for it to happen. Uh, and it, it, I, I, I feel it's a collective approach which hasn't happened before. Yeah, but I mean, you know, sort of linked to that, you, you've got a big section in this report um, discussing the issue of food as medicine. Mm. Um, you know, I'm guessing that, with the medical stuff and the, the busyness of trying to get someone well, um, mm. you know, then the, the food bit doesn't seem so important, but this for me seems like a, a mindset change. Is that, is that what you're saying? No, it's true. And, and, you, and as you said to me earlier on, you know, why are, why are some people getting it so right and some are getting it so wrong? And it is very much, around a behavior and around a culture. And even in one hospital, you, know, you, you could go to a dozen wards and yet they all manage the food service differently. Now that may be down to the patient acuity, but it may be also around the leadership within that ward. How important is the food service to that ward manager or that matron or sister on that ward level? Now, if you turn it around and you think, well, what should be important to the patient during that day? And, and I tell you, you can put your bottom dollar on it now. Beverage and meal times, along with the visitor times, are the most important times of the day yeah. to a patient. So really, we should be creating that real sort of social experience and a relaxed setting. So food service isn't hurried. It's done at a pace that is enjoyable for those that are, are having it. There's enough staff to serve those meals. And there's also a monitoring going through the day. So as you said, things like water is close enough to every patient. It's also fresh and chilled. Snacks are available throughout the day. And, and it's supper time, you know, before they hopefully get a good night's sleep, they have a warm, comforting drink. All those things that we want to try and create a home setting within a hospital setting. That's not easy, yeah. but it is down to the leadership and, and working with those clinical and dietetic teams to make it right. 
Yeah, fab. So, so you said earlier that this report was put in place following the outbreak of listeria. I mean, how big a concern is, is food safety today in hospitals? Well, COVID has certainly raised the awareness and expectations around not just food safety, but personal hygiene. Yeah. That, that's a great benefit, I, I think, for the NHS as a whole. And, and also for society, you know, we're seeing people washing their hands a lot more often. You know, they're, they're aware that when they go into places, they have to gel. So that is definitely creating a different environment. When it comes to food safety, the, the NHS, we need to purchase from suppliers that have been audited correctly. So any issues need to be communicated quickly and clearly. And I think sometimes when issues happen, particularly for suppliers that become very fearful that it's going to damage their business, you know, once something gets out, they probably try and put things right before they actually communicate the message out. But what we need, and we've been talking to these companies already and, and the NHS supply chain, is as soon as there is an issue, flag it. Because if they flag it quickly, we can minimise the effect that it has on the people that they're serving. So we need to do that quickly. So we're working closely with people like the Food Standards Agency, NHS Supply Chain, um, STS, who are the auditing team that work with the NHS. And someone, you know, a, a team that's really important to me right now is, is the British Sandwich Association. You know, they are working with high risk foods. Anything that is ready to eat, mm. doesn't need to be cooked, is high risk. And therefore, we need to get things right. So we're working with them about labeling. So creating a really simple label that, that tells them that that food needs to be stored at five degrees or less. It needs to be eaten quickly. It needs to be kept chilled. It's not just about the food we serve. If you go into a hospital setting now, you will have a retail outlet. You know, it, it can be M&S, it can be Waitrose, Sainsbury's, whatever. Okay. If a visitor comes in and purchases a sandwich, takes it up to ward level and sticks it on the patient locker on the side, those wards are very, very warm, you know, yeah. and, and therefore that bit is out of the caterer's control. So we, we need to, you know, raise, raise the game with everybody. So at ward level, we need people to re realize if there's food hanging around that is not being stored in the right way, they, they need to obviously advise accordingly. So. We need choice and availability of food that, of course, comes with a cost because of food safety management. But what we must say is there needs to be no shortcuts on the topic of food safety. Hmm. I've always believed that catering teams in the NHS take food safety very seriously. But sometimes food safety stops at the kitchen door. And that's the bit that we have to break down. We have to take food safety all the way into the corridors, all the way to ward level, and then back again to the kitchen. If an outbreak happens in a hospital, whether it's at ward level, in the kitchen, in, a, in an outlet, that hospital is responsible. So we need to have total accountability. Now, obviously, um, facilities are key to much of this and the finance to back it up as well. You know, what kind of funding and facilities are needed to make sure patients, uh, staff and visitors can access good quality food at all times of the day, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, finance is always a huge challenge in the NHS. And, and, and of course, the pandemic has, has totally changed the planning that was due to happen 18 months ago. However, we need trust to make available the budgets for suitable cost per patient per day. It is down to each trust to decide how much money is available for food for those patients and for those staff and visitors in those areas. So the question is often asked, well, why is there such a difference in each hospital? So we, we are trying to push that amount up to a, to a minimum level, but at the same time, is you know what we shouldn't be doing is spending a ridiculous amount of money on food because we know it doesn't take a silly amount to provide a really good am amount of, of food that is at a certain sensible quality. And often, if it's too much, you then ask the question: Well, is there a lot being wasted? Mm. So we, we we need there to be. What, what I would call a suitable amount set for each hospital so they can purchase food that is of, 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 a, of a great quality. Of course, capital funding needs to be made available for replacement equipment, for things like ward pantries and hydration hubs. Uh, uh, but, you know, we've spoken about it already. Finance needs to be there, but there needs to be a suitable culture and behavior to support positive change. We firmly believe that money will be available in the spending review in the autumn, but we need to focus on what, what can we do for the money that is provided. So, so throughout COVID, what has been apparent is the lack of choice and availability for good food for staff throughout the 24 seven period. You know, so we're, we're already doing trials with trust on 24-7 innovations to ensure that our staff have that ability to, one, you know, get a 15, 20-minute break, whether it's 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., to go somewhere, be able to rest, and, and be able to get something that is really appropriate for them to, to feel that they are being nourished and, and hydrated through their working time. And, and we're working really hard with our suppliers and with our trusts to look at those costs and to try and push each trust to think about the funding they're making available. I, I believe within the next couple of years, we will see a squeezing of that money pot to ensure that the right money is being made available. So there is a lot more consistency around the country. Mm, great. Um, how's technology being used in hospital meals then, Phil? You know, I'm guessing this is an area that's probably going to grow and develop more in the coming years, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, digital is massive in the NHS, full stop. Um, what we probably hasn't seen enough of is innovation and digital through facilities teams. You know, we often run things like portering systems and cleaning schedules, and we and we should also be doing the same through catering. There, there are probably already nearly 60% of trusts that are using digital for same-day ordering. Um, so we're working with companies right now to do some more pilots throughout the trust. So if you have a digital system for your ordering of patient meals, the aim is basically for food to be at its best at the point of service. You know, it's, it's okay looking in a boiler, a brat pan or a saucepan and seeing a great curry. 
But if that curry looks absolutely rubbish on the plate, mm. then that's no good to the person receiving it. So it needs to be at its best when the patient receives it. So the systems will help us have a flexible ordering. It will help us create a, a, a social setting. It will give us safe ordering so you can change the languages on it. You can add photos. You can cover things like allergies and nutritional analysis. We want food to be ordered as close to the service period as possible. So if you can order something at 9, 10, 11 in the morning, ready for midday, that to me feels right. You should not be ordering today for tomorrow. There's no reason for that anymore. And, and that will also help us to, to reduce waste. It will help us also to have an audit capacity to control costs. And I think as well, it will raise skill levels great for facilities and catering teams to be using the new digital solutions that are out there. Mm. And you, you've mentioned um, standards have varied greatly um, in hospitals that you've visited. I mean, how do you actually monitor the standard of food then? There have always been food standards in hospitals, but they have never been mandatory. So therefore, hospitals have, have, have sort of just picked around a little bit at what they feel they can achieve. The recent white paper from the government announced the health and social care bill. Uh, and this paper states that the Secretary of State will be able to add secondary legislation to the hospital food standards. That's the first time ever. That's absolutely amazing. So that was obviously one of our recommendations that that happens. The standards are currently being updated. They will also be linked to the food review. Uh, it's really important that all the different documents that come out, you know, whether they're the obesity strategy, the long-term plan, the national food strategy around procurement from Henry Dimbleby, when the food standards come out for hospitals, they need to be aligned with the food review. So direction is then brought together. Uh, I, I believe that within this control measure, that there will, will be a reporting matrix for food and drink for patients, staff and visitors. And then that will be measured and monitored by the team. And, and it will also be part of the CQC inspection. CQC already look at food and drink, but at the moment they've got no measuring tool. So you know, the food standards will help them do that. So that again, will take us to a, a much higher level. Yeah. Um, food waste seems to be a, a massive um, issue. I mean, you know, globally, uh, mm. nationally, you know, even in our own homes, isn't it? Um, I was a, I was a bit taken aback by the the figures here. I mean, I've got two hundred thirty million a year food waste. I mean, can can you unpack, you know, what some of the issues are and how hospitals might be able to address these? Well, waste full stop in the NHS is a strong topic you know we, we you know through the pandemic we've heard a lot about clinical waste you know because of things like PPE um, we've heard about general recycling and food waste no doubt is a huge cost the net zero carbon agenda is a driving force behind decision making that is a tremendous help to me personally because it feels like we've got a juggernaut behind us that's pushing forward, you know, the, the, the things that we're putting on the table. What we need to recognize, the, the, the figures that we see right now 
are taken from, we call it ERIC, it's, it's the estates and reconciliation data that gets pulled together. And at the moment, that's the only tool that we have that tells us this is the amount of food waste that gets thrown away each year from the NHS. But we have to consider some of that is production waste, you know, potato peelings, oil, all these different things that we use. But we've also got trolley waste and we've got plate waste. So whether you're producing food in house, whether you're then taking food to ward level and you have a trolley with the food on or you've got plate waste, we need to understand how do we manage that securely and understand how can we reduce it. So we're looking at also other things like a, a template to consistently measure it. So every hospital is measuring it in the same way. We're working with RAP who uh, have, have got a fantastic wealth of experience around NHS um, waste. So we're working closely with those right now. We're looking also at our food waste disposal with biodigesters because they measure the food waste that gets thrown away. That helps us to understand, you know, if you've got a dozen wards and you're putting in the biodigester, this is, this is ward one, ward two, ward three, you start to recognize which of the wards are throwing away most waste. And then you can go to those wards and focus on who's doing well, who's not doing well, and why is that? Are we supplying far too much food to those wards? Or are those wards the most ill that actually need smaller portions so they can actually have a, a, a second amount when needed? So we wanna produce great food that creates good health. You know, we wanna focus on quality over quantity and that should have a wider benefit. In, what I will add as well to that around particularly sustainability is it is really core to me that we, local, we, 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 we link with local farmers and producers. They are key to things like seasonal menus you know, and also maximizing productivity within each region. When you're a patient, you need to look at that menu and it needs to replicate where you are. You know, when I, I always believed after, after working in Taunton for so long, you know, I wanted things like Somerset pork on the menu. I wanted cheeses from that region on the menu. People want to know where they are and they want to be treated with respect and dignity. So our menu should reflect that in the right way. Mm, brilliant. That sounds great. Um, I mean, were there some issues that you were you were not aware of, but sort of came to the forefront when you started visiting hospitals at all? Probably no real surprises. I think after yeah. 30 years in the NHS, <laughs> you've probably seen most things. I mean, what we, what was apparent is that what we suspected were the challenges were confirmed. So I think yeah. that's good, you know, cause sometimes you think, oh, I've seen that. I know that happens everywhere, but it is good to get out and see it and understand it. You know, I mentioned to you earlier around the chief executive checklist. So that supported the eight recommendations and what we've asked people to do in that checklist is we've asked every trust to do a gap analysis of their catering service right now. Be brave, be courageous, be honest, look at what you're currently doing and then try and map out a plan of improvement and how you can move forward. You know, and we are there to help those trusts move forward because if they're more honest about their situation now, if they look at it in six and 12 months time, hopefully they can see how they've moved forward. You know, so just a couple of things that we really picked out 
that we can see the trust that do really well and the ones that struggle. Have a dietitian that's actually linked to the catering team. They help to improve collaboration. Have a dynamic nutrition steering group that has strong clinical leadership. And, and, and that really drives those, those positive conversations with the clinical teams. Have a food safety specialist within every trust. You know, I expect healthcare to be at the forefront of food safety, not at the rear, you know. So keeping looped into changing legislation, adapting training skills is vital. You know, we need to be at the front rather than at the back. Mm. And I think having those key people in those positions helps hospitals to be in a much stronger position. Right. Now you've, um, this report is now done, it's published. Um, mm. You know, how, how was that um, sort of handed over to, what's the process of that of handed over to government? And, you know, how has it been received, do you feel? Now, that probably describes my most nervous moment, I think. I went to meet with the Secretary of State with the draft report, you know, and you've got no warning of what he's going to think about it. Um, I was absolutely delighted that all recommendations were fully supported. You know, and, and once we had gone through that process, it was then agreed the launch date. Then that then happened. It, 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 we went to the Royal Berkshire Hospital um, with the, and the Prime Minister came to that launch with as long as long with the Secretary of State with, with Prue and myself in attendance. So we, we kind of you know really went for it. And I must say there's been a really positive relationship with the Department of Health on this. And all throughout the process, and in particular ministerial support, the contact has been very regular. You know, I'll often get a text or an email saying, you know, is everything okay? Do you need any more support? Mm. You know, what's what's happened over the next couple of weeks and months, you know, and what are you up to? So we, we although we launched at the end of October, because we obviously went through that difficult wave through the winter, we, we relaunched it at the beginning of April, which has now given us those three years to actually work to the report and through the rec recommendations. So yeah, it, it feels as if we're, we're, we're back in the game early again um, and, and we're moving forward. So yeah, we're, it, it feels very collective, which is a, a good feel. Yeah, and I mean, does it feel like the hard work starts now in a sense mm. of, you know, going forward and, I mean, you know, whose whose responsibility is it now to to keep other trusts sort of accountable for for this, and you know, who who really pushes this forward now? So, I mean, recommendation number eight was going forward. So that that kind of that was agreed really once meeting the Secretary of State. So that that that's that's done, and and that gave us the ability to actually make this review different to any other you know there needed to be a commitment to a longer term plan and, and we got that um, i've been fortunate enough now to join the nhs improvement team centrally and that will, will now drive the three-year plan i'm supported by an expert panel that you know their time will be paid by the nhs improvement team We've also got 14 exemplar trusts throughout the country that will extend to 30 and they will be the benchmarks of success. So with the seven regions that we have in England, 
we will have at least four trusts in every region and we will meet regularly with those four trusts who will then branch out to the rest of the region and it's important that we don't have that sort of you know doing well doing okay not doing well and doing brilliant we, we don't want that anymore we want everybody to to get to a point where we can be proud of and i think by having exemplar trusts they will pull people up to a standard that we can be proud of it, it will take time mm. but through that three year i believe we will get there and and you know we'll be able to look back and see some of the changes that were made and some are already happening and, and it's already been making me very proud of what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, just 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 reading it a number of times, um, it, it seemed to me like a bit like a like near like a vision document as well, in a sense of actually, you know, not only talking about things that you see on the ground at the moment, but what it could look like. And I, I found that really exciting. Um, but you know, can you give me an example of maybe a, a hospital that's that you feel's getting it right or, or maybe illustrating or demonstrating some of this vision that you'd like to see nationally? Well, you put me on the spot, that's for sure. It's rare that a hospital gets a whole service completely right. I, I, I can think of three in, in different ways. East Lancashire, they've got great leadership. They've got a sustainable agenda. They're totally supported by their chief exec. And they've got menus that recognize the need for quality over cost. You've got Royal Devon and Exeter, great retail area. They provide a fantastic well-being facility for staff with quality food, choice at a price that everybody feels they can afford. So that attracts the staff to use it regularly. And then you've got somewhere like Gloucester Care. You know, one of the sites that Prue and I attended together fantastic dining areas for patients that creates a relaxed a wonderful setting perfect for empowering patient recovery for me you know, this review is different because it's driven by the nhs not by others outside of it you know you know we've got the chance to make a substantial difference i believe now is the time for change you know we've got a plan it will be actioned, it will be measured, and it will be monitored. And I think that's all we can do to ensure that we get to where we want to be. Phil, that's great. I've, I've, I've learned loads reading this report. I feel as if I've read it a few more times than uh, Boris Johnson, to be honest with you. But um, I have thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, spending time with you today. Thanks so much you do for your time, Phil. You're welcome. Good to see you. Well, I hope you enjoy that, guys. Uh, I'm hoping the chief executives really take this report seriously, that we, we start to see restaurants uh, as the hub of the hospital, where there's more communal dining areas for patients, where staff finishing a, a shift can access healthy food, where it becomes a 24-7 service. Great stuff. Okay, that's it for now. Uh, check out the notes and you can access the report and follow Phil on Twitter. And uh, I'll see you again next time.